One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Inflammation Nation podcast. I'm Dr. Steve Noseworthy. If you haven't been joining us in the past, and if this is the first episode you've jumped into, uh, make sure you go back and listen to some of the earlier podcasts where I start to lay a foundation about human physiology and and how inflammation relates to that. Currently, we're in a mini-series talking about hormones and health, and we finally got to the point where we're talking about the five pillars um, that are the foundation of hormone balance and control. And, and so the general premise is that once we discover that there's a hormonal imbalance or deficiency, if you want to say it that way, that is contributing to some kind of symptomatology and loss of quality of life, we don't just immediately jump into um, hormone replacement therapy. Now, that might be ultimately where someone ends up. It might be the best thing for them. Then you have to deal with questions about things like bioidentical versus synthetic and so on. And these are things that we've talked about in earlier episodes in this particular miniseries. Um, but the five pillars, we're, we're on number four. So let me just go through the list one more time because some things like this bear repeating. Uh, rote repetition is a great way to learn fundamentals. And so what, the very first pillar we talked about was insulin and blood sugar control. That is tightly linked to number two, which is about stress chemistry or adrenal imbalance, simply because adrenal hormones like cortisol or epinephrine slash adrenaline um, have a lot of implications for blood sugar control. And we can flip that around and say, if you've got high insulin and poor blood sugar issues, um, then that is a physiological stressor on the body. So those are the first one and two, insulin, blood sugar control, and stress chemistry. And then we talked um, about gut health last time. We're not going to go through uh, a review of that, but gut health obviously is a, it's a pretty broad and deep topic. And so you know, it's difficult to do it justice when we're talking about it in the context of something else and really kind of begs its own mini series, which uh, we'll eventually get to. Today, I want to talk about number four of the five pillars, and that is uh, detoxification capacity. We could actually say it a different different way and and think about the toxic burden that we all have. And so let's talk about some general concepts and principles that are really applicable to everyone. And, and the first thing is, is that you're, if you're living in an industrialized country, you have a toxic burden. It, it is, as the literature says, an inescapable fact of life. And so if you visit a, a doctor that is into doing uh, toxin testing, and there's several different ways to do it, um, s- unfortunately, several of those different ways are... Um, clinically inaccurate, not really reliable, things like, you know, hair testing and this kind of stuff. Um, But nevertheless, we can run some uh, uh, quantitative labs, for example, using uh, urine capture to assess the amount. It's a quantitative analysis to assess the amount of heavy metals and chemicals that are in your body. And they are there. I mean, again, the literature says that exposure to these compounds are an inescapable fact of life. Now I do, I'm going to say I do a fair amount of toxin testing with my clients. I don't do it for everybody. I do it when it makes sense. 
it just turns out that a lot of my clients tend to be on the more complex side. A lot of them do have things like chemical sensitivity, and that brings quantifying their toxin load kind of to the forefront. And so we tend to do a lot of testing, again, when it's appropriate, but the nature of my clientele just kind of begs that we do it fairly frequently. But when we look at issues like your toxic burden, understand that the amount of any given toxin that is in your body is a reflection of two things. Number one, it's a reflection of what your exposure is. Now, most of us live similar lives to the point that we're being exposed to an array of chemicals, literally, you know, a couple, if not more dozen. Um, we're exp being exposed to this on a routine basis. And so it tends to accumulate in our system. But when you get into circumstances where maybe your job or your, your hobby causes an increased exposure to a certain type of chemical, then in those cases, you may expect to see more of one particular thing than, say, the average person. But let's just put that off to the side for the moment, and let's just assume that you're living the same life that I live and most other people live, and you don't have a hobby or a job that really increases your risk of exposure to certain types of chemicals. What we can say with a lot of confidence, if not 100% certainty, is that if we measured your urine and uh, did a quantitative analysis of heavy metals and mold toxins and environmental chemicals, we will find something. Even if that something is considered to be quote unquote normal or in the safe range. Now that is perhaps a, a topic that needs to be debated because all of these chemicals that we're talking about are really man-made. Now, obviously heavy metals are just part of the creation that we're in. Um, mold toxins tend to happen in nature. Um, there are some, of course, that we can promote increased exposure just through uh, different types of foods and how we store and how we transport them. But when it comes down to environmental chemicals and, and different classes, things like we call persistent organic pollutants or different types of fungicides or pesticides, insecticides, and or things that are used in manufacturing of a wide range of consumer goods, these are all man-made and they didn't exist, you know, 100, 150 years ago. And so in one sense, any amount of an environmental chemical, specifically environmental chemicals, any amount is not normal. Now, the question becomes whether or not not normal, or sorry, say it the other way, the question becomes if your level is quote unquote normal, does that mean you're not symptomatic or it's not messing up your metabolism some way? And the answer is unequivocally no. Um, just because someone has a normal amount of some kind of a organic pollutant or chemical in their body or a mycotoxin or a heavy metal doesn't mean that it's not causing problems because all of these compounds, and, and let's kind of narrow the discussion down just to environmental chemicals because I, I don't want to keep saying all three classes of toxins over and over again, but the same general rule applies or rules apply across the board. Anytime that you're dealing with any type of chemical load, it is an unusual finding. And so what we have to do is just kind of not not look at a test result and go, oh, hallelujah, everything is normal, and just go on about our merry way. We have to be a little bit more astute, and we have to look at the context of the person that we're looking at, and then we have to try to make correlations between what we're finding with their toxin load and what's happening clinically. And in this context of this discussion in this miniseries, we're talking about how chemicals can interfere with hormones, and there's several different ways that it can do that. Let me get back to uh, what I tried to start out by saying is that um, 
you know, when the amount of toxins that you have in your body is a result of two things. It's a result of your exposure, how much and how frequently, which is pretty much all the time, and how easily your body is able to handle those things. Now, as a general rule, most of the chemicals that we encounter that build up in our body are detoxified in a traditional sense in that they are handled by the liver. We'll talk just a little bit about the different phase one, phase two pathways in the liver and how they work. Um, but there's a, another way that we detoxify chemicals, including things like heavy metals and other toxins. And that's by using some kind of a chelator. And the natural chelator, of course, is uh, going to be cysteine or the tripeptide amino acid group called glutathione. Glutathione is your major intracellular antioxidant. It protects your cells against things like oxidative stress and, and the impact of inflammation, but it is a natural chelator, meaning that glutathione not only protects your body and your tissues, it actually can bind to and neutralize different types of toxins so that they don't interfere with your normal function, and that allows them to be eliminated. And Again, there's different layers of detail that we go through in each of these different things that we're talking about. What I want to do is just kind of skim the surface and give you a broad idea of what I typically call the new science of detoxification because we're so far past, well, at least we should be. We're so far past the point where a practitioner should say, everybody needs to detox. Yeah, I might agree with that just simply because we all have a toxin load. But in terms of doing a focused protocol over a prolonged period of time, that is just kind of a general idea to, you know, clean up your liver, clean up your gallbladder. You know, those things are kind of old school, somewhat outdated concepts, not that they don't have value. But I want to caution you against just assuming that all you need to do is a detox. And while on, I'm on that topic, it, it, it drives me mad on a routine basis if I'm, you know, out on the internet and scouring and, and I come across either articles or practitioner websites, or even if I'm, at, you know, in line at the grocery store and you have all those magazines that are there staring you in the face and you see things like, you know, lose 20 pounds in three days, you know, do the fill in the blank detox and heal your fill in the blank. Um, you know, the bottom line is that detoxification is an ongoing physiological process. And so it's absolutely nonsensical to think that you can do a detox over a period of several days or even, to be honest, several weeks and think that you're going to accomplish great things, particularly if you are uh, entrenched in some kind of chronic inflammatory issue. Uh, I will tell you that, and this is, again, it's not the only thing I do. I do it fairly frequently just because of the nature of the problems that I tend to deal with. I will tell you that if I have somebody whose metabolic state is pretty um, intricately entangled, if you will, and multiple systems are either downregulated or upregulated, and we do a quantitative analysis of their toxin load, and we find that they have multiple chemicals, they might have multiple mycotoxins. Sometimes I find heavy metals not very often, to be honest. But I will typically tell people that, you know, here, here's our starting point, and it might take us six months to a year to get to the point where we repeat this test and everything is at or very close to being totally normal. And so the idea, like, just don't fall into this trap that you can do like a three-week detox and you think you've done your job. Because if, if you had a problem that was so minimal that a three-week detox 
um, cleared it up for you and it stayed cleared up after you stopped doing the detox, your problem wasn't toxicity. Your problem was <laughs> probably something related to things that you stopped doing in association with your detox. And that might be changes in, in, you know, getting rid of bad habits with bad lifestyle. It might be associated with not consuming certain fruits. Like it's very, very common for someone to do a detox and they might either eliminate food altogether and do like a juice fast. And, you know, in that case, they're not eating pro-inflammatory grains or they're not consuming industrial seed oils that drive inflammation. There's so many different reasons why a, a, an approach like quote unquote a detox can actually give you benefit. But like I said, if, if you feel that you were dramatically improved after a three-week detox and that's the, you think that's the only thing you've done, um, that's not really the only thing that you've done. And I'm getting down on a bunny trail, which is obviously my habit. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you realize that I do get off on some some bunny trails. So back to the big picture um, is, you know, talking about how how much stuff you have in your body is a combination of how much you're being exposed to, as well as your innate ability to detoxify and clear those things out. And yes, the liver and the gallbladder is involved in most things, but there are some things, for example, heavy metals that actually don't go through the liver. Like you can't support your liver and get rid of mercury, for example. That has to be done through some kind of chelating process. And the best is the natural, which is your own natural or endogenous production of glutathione. And we might come back to that, um, or we might save that for a, kind of like a dedicated mini-series on detoxification by itself. Now, having said that, there's another side to the toxin story that is not related to how much you have. And that is whether or not you actually have immune responses to toxins that are in your system. So here's how this works. If you have some kind of an inherent inability to bind certain types of toxins and get them out of your body, they will tend to accumulate in your system because you have so much coming in, but you can't efficiently handle all of your input. And so more comes in than goes out. And the net result is these things go up and up and up. Now, if you have inflammatory issues, particularly if you are in the world of autoimmunity, where you have antibodies to your own tissues, it is possible, and I, I would say over time very likely, that you will actually start to begin to react immunologically to those chemicals or other toxins that are increased in your body. So as a general rule, we tend to believe clinically that people who can't detox certain compounds, those compounds are the ones that their immune system can at some point in the future start to react to. And what does that look like? Well, in reality, your immune system cannot react directly to a heavy metal. It cannot react directly to something like um, glyphosate, like uh, Roundup or some other type of, of chemical. These heavy metals and chemicals actually have to bind to your own tissues to create what we call a neoantigen. That is your own tissue plus a chemical or a metal bound to it. And then because part of that new complex, part of that new antigen is your own tissue, now your immune system can create an antibody against the complex, but it makes it against your own tissue. So much so that for, and I'll just pick on mercury and use that as an example. If I have mercury bound to some tissue in my body and my immune system has labeled that with an antibody and, and it's to the human portion of that, I can come in and do some kind of mercury chelation, get rid of the mercury, but what I'm left with is an antibody to my own tissue. This is pretty well published in the environmental medicine literature as it relates to 
environmental chemicals and other toxins as being a trigger as well as perpetuator for autoimmunity. And what that looks like is that quite often people have, again, quote unquote, normal amounts of toxins. So we do a urine test or any other test that's out there and everything kind of comes back in the normal range and we think we're safe. And the reality is for people who have this autoimmune reaction to these chemicals bound to our own tissues, they can react immunologically even to normal amounts as reflected on some kind of a, a toxin test. And this introduces then a whole new qualitative aspect to looking at your toxic burden. So I'll tell you right now, just kind of bottom line, is that if you're worried about toxins and chemical sensitivity and how that might be driving your symptoms and decreasing your quality of life, it's not sufficient to do a quantitative test and ask, how much do I have? The next thing that you need to know is that you need to know whether or not your immune system is reacting and can that potentially be driving your inflammatory conditions, including, but not exclusive to, but including autoimmune diseases. And that's a whole different news. And in this, this whole concept in the literature is called a TILT syndrome, T-I-L-T, and it's called a toxicant-induced loss of tolerance, which introduces another concept, which is loss of chemical tolerance. And loss of chemical tolerance, again, typically happens in the average person when they have particular difficulty clearing out a certain type or class of compounds, and they accumulate to the point where they start binding to your own tissues, and then your immune system goes, well, that's not normal, and it creates an antibody to your own tissues. And now, symptomatically, this is typically not the person who um, has no sense of chemical sensitivity whatsoever. Like, they can walk through a like a department store in the perfume aisle and the smells don't bother them. Gasoline fumes don't bother them. Cigarette smoke doesn't bother them. They don't have to change their personal care products like their lotions and their shampoos. It doesn't bother them. And so what we can think about is we can actually think about a scale or a continuum where on one end, environmental exposure is really not a problem. Whether or not they have increased or decreased levels may be true or maybe not in each individual case. But the bottom line is we're all living in a toxic world and some people just aren't bothered by toxins. They're just not bothered by chemicals. And that's the that's the far end of one spectrum all the way up to the other end where everything bothers them. You know, they have to have special soaps and shampoos and personal care products and cosmetics if that's what you're doing. Um, they have to change all the cleaners in their house. They can't be in a, in a room that has mold in it. They don't pump their own gas because they can't handle the smell. They don't use scented lotions because when they do, they get symptomatic. And, and so between those two different endpoints, there's an infinite number of different stops along the way. You may have somebody who says, well, you know, I'm not really chemically sensitive, but there are some odors that I just don't like. They just don't like it, and so they tend to avoid it, but it doesn't create any immediate symptoms. And then you have somebody else who might be a little further along the progression where they get exposed to some kind of a chemical fume, for example. Let's say that it's gasoline smoke or the smell of mold in a musty room, and they start to get some symptoms if they stay in that room for a long period of time. Like if they're in and out of the room in a couple of minutes, it's not a big deal. But if they're in there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes or more, then they start to get a headache. They start to get a migraine. They start to get tired. Maybe they get brain fog. Maybe their joints start to hurt. But as soon as they go out of the room, within 10, 15 minutes, it all clears up, meaning you're only symptomatic when you're actively being exposed to it. And then there's the person who walks into, say, a moldy room or smells 
strong perfume or gasoline fumes and immediately gets symptomatic. And the symptoms continue on even after they've removed themselves from wherever that exposure is. Now, I'm talking right now about two different things. I'm talking about a continuum and a spectrum of how chemical sensitivity begins and how it progresses over a period of time, all the way up to the more complicated cases where we have somebody whose immune system is active and engaged. I'm also talking about reactivity to external toxins, but what we started talking about was the fact that we're all toxic and we all have a toxic burden. And so from a clinical standpoint, one of the one of the things that I have to deal with when I'm working up a new case, for example, is number one, do I think the environment, the external environment is a problem for that person? Do I think that they have an accumulation of certain types of toxins in their body that are above what we consider the normal range? And perhaps even more important than that, is their immune system involved? Now, obviously, we've done very little talking about how chemicals have an impact on hormonal systems. That will be the next episode. So I guess we're going to split detox into uh, two different conversations. But bottom line is that we all live in a toxic world. Every single one of us, including you, thank you, dear listener, um, has a toxic burden. So the question is, is your body handling it? Are you showing symptomatology when you get exposed to external toxins that might give us clues that your system is not handling things well? If you're getting symptoms, are they do they take a long time to come on? Are they short-lived and you recover quickly? Do they come on quickly and take a long time to resolve? Or is it an ongoing thing that you just simply can't seem to get away from, even though you've modified your house, your personal care products, and all these different things? You've reduced exposure as much as you can but you still feel like your environmental burden, both internally and externally, is a problem for you. So I'll leave it there just for now. And then um, when we pick it up again in the next episode, we'll drill down and talk a little bit more about how the liver actually is involved in detoxification. We'll just briefly outline what we call phase one and phase two detoxification systems. We can actually throw a third phase in there as well. Um, and then we'll talk about some of the unique ways that environmental chemicals and other types of toxins can act as hormone disruptors, uh, commonly called endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs, and how some of them can also act as obesogens where they promote the accumulation of body fat and actually prevent you from losing weight. And this is in some cases, the absolute linchpin and the key is to understand that someone's inability to lose weight is tied up not just in their inflammatory load, but the thing that's causing it and oftentimes it is the environment and how the body's not handling things properly. So we'll come back to that. We'll talk about that on the next episode in the Inflammation Nation. Thanks for being there. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time. Music